apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a defense. Listen, Christianity is intelligent. All of life's toughest questions can be answered in Christianity. Questions such as, who am I? What's the meaning of life? And what's going to happen to me after I die? Who am I? Well, biblically speaking, you're a sinner. What's the meaning of life? The meaning of life, according to the Bible, is that we were created to know God and to glorify Him. And finally, what's going to happen to me after I die? According to the Bible, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. Remember this. Your greatest tool when talking to a non-believer is the Bible. Your greatest tool in apologetics is the Bible. The Word of God will not return void. There is power in the inerrant Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Even if someone says, when you're engaging in this conversation, this apologetical conversation, if they say, well, I don't believe the Bible, that doesn't mean the Bible is false. Never put the Bible aside to try to prove the Bible's claims. The Bible is where we find truth. Why would you get rid of your greatest arsenal of weaponry in the midst of war? Skeptics say to prove the Bible without using the Bible. Then that's like telling you, then that's like telling someone that you have the fastest race car in the world, but you can't use your own race car to prove it. Or it's like saying that you can lift the heaviest weights in the world, but you can't use your muscles to prove it. That's absurd. The Bible says in Psalm 14:1 that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Listen, the Bible is not just a book. Rather, it's a collection of documents written over the course of 1,500 years on three different continents by 40 different authors with one main theme and no contradictions. Plenty of paradoxes, but no contradictions. The main theme being how can man escape hell, come into a relationship with his maker, and get to heaven. It's been said that when somebody says, the Bible is filled with mistakes, say this, I agree with you. The Bible is filled with mistakes. The first was when man rejected God in the garden. Don't do the same. <laughs> Wow. What does the Bible say about people who don't believe in God? Well, Romans 1, verses 18 through 20. This is key in evangelism. This is insight into the mind of the skeptic from the one who knows all. Romans 1, 18 through 20 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be made known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without 
excuse. Listen to these words throughout this. It says that the wrath of God is revealed. It says what can be known about God. It says that God has shown it to them. It says that God's nature has been clear so that people are without excuse. Ray Comfort said something like this. Atheists say they don't believe in God, but God doesn't believe in atheists. This is insight into the mind of the skeptic. According to the Bible, everyone knows that God exists. Well, what about the atheists? The Bible says they don't exist. Atheists are just people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's been said that the difference between us and them, that is Christians and atheists, is that they suppress the truth, but we confess it. When it comes down to it, the atheist is just someone who doesn't want God to exist. Because they don't want to be morally accountable. That's what the Bible says. It says they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They love their sin and they don't want to give an account for it. So they suppress the truth of God. But at the end of the day, they know that God exists. They don't want God to exist just like a bank robber doesn't want a police officer to exist. No God, no reason for morality. Listen, atheists can still be morally good without God in our eyes. I'm not saying do good things to get to heaven, but morally good from a sociological standpoint in our eyes. But listen, they can't give an account for why something is good or bad. One time R.C. Sproul was asked the question, What do you say to someone who doesn't believe in objective morality? His answer? Steal their wallet. If there was no God, people might say that stealing is wrong. But the point is this, why is it wrong? If we're just glorified goo, if we're just stardust, if we're just the product of billions of years of evolution, then who's to say what someone does is right or wrong? Why am I spending so much time on atheism? Well, Several years ago, there was a study done that says one out of every 10 people are atheists. Now, it says one out of every four claim to be atheists. When you're out on the streets evangelizing, right now I'm assuming that you, the listener, is evangelizing, is out on the streets. Are you obeying the command of God? But when you go out, you will come across many of atheists on the college campus, especially now let's examine some key pointers for apologetics. But first, let's recognize the purpose or the goal of apologetics. The purpose of apologetics is not solely to destroy someone's worldview or just to win an argument. Listen, that does happen and that is a goal. We want to show how other religions are bankrupt. But that's not the chief goal. It's not the main goal. There are times... There are times when you'll find people with worldviews whose feet are firmly planted in midair. It makes no sense. And the purpose of apologetics is not just to point that out, 
The purpose of apologetics is to demonstrate the intelligence of Christianity with the intent of sharing the gospel, ultimately to win souls to Christ. Second, let's look at our most valuable tool in apologetics. Look at the Bible as your ultimate source of authority. This is where we find truth. And what's the Bible's main theme? Well, it's the gospel. Apologetics and evangelism should be inseparable. Dr. Greg Bonson, the great presuppositional apologist, said this, quote, The apologist who fails to take account of the evangelistic nature of his argumentation is both cruel and proud. Cruel because he overlooks the deepest need of his opponent and proud because he is more concerned to demonstrate that he is no academic fool than to show how all glory belongs to the gracious God of all truth. Tyler Kenny said apologetics are valuable, but they have their own set of dangers. You can get bogged down in talking about purely intellectual or peripheral matters and never get to the gospel. It's fine for us to talk with an unbeliever, about questions that they have, but our attempts to try and answer them without setting the gospel as the foundation does no good. Jesus must set the agenda for evangelism. End quote. There's a verse that stands above them all when it comes to the call to apologetics in the Bible. It's the most popular verse on apologetics. 1 Peter 3.15 I believe it to be the most misunderstood verse on apologetics. Let's read it. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, apologia, to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The way this verse is understood by many is always be ready to answer any question. Always be ready to defend your faith. All aspects of Christianity, such as prove the existence of God. Always be ready to use something besides the Bible to prove the Bible. You can't use the Bible to prove the Bible. That's circular reasoning. Always be ready to fill in the blank. But what does it say? It says always be ready for what? Always be ready to give a defense for what? People stop reading the verse right there. What does it say? Keep going. It says, for the reason for the hope that is in us. What's the hope that is in us? It's the gospel. Always be ready to defend the gospel and share it. Always be ready to preach the gospel Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Question, do you believe that the gospel has the power of God? Or do you doubt its strength and not trust its sufficiency? The gospel is the power of God. The omnipotent power of Almighty God is in the gospel. We need not get caught up in the reeds of evangelism. Answering every question to an unbeliever's satisfaction is not the power of God unto salvation. The power of God is in the gospel. If you have a conversation, and let's say you prove the existence of God, 
but you don't preach the gospel? Listen, you failed. And you both lost. The gospel is the power of God. Remember that. You were dead in your sin. You broke the law of God. You deserve hell. If you've told a lie, then you deserve to go to hell. Well, why? Because the Bible says that all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. You deserve hell, but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What's the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Evangelism must be inseparable with apologetics. W.E. Sinkster said, How shall I feel at the judgment if multitudes of missed opportunities before me in full review and all my excuses prove to be disguises of cowardice and pride? Listen, friends, share the gospel. It's the power of God. Don't be ashamed. Trust its power. Trust God. Trust God.